0: This is episode number 22 of the Paleo Women Podcast. Hey friends, so happy to have you here. I'm Noelle Tarr. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and I write everything you'll find at coconutsandcattlebells.com. And I'm here with my co-host, Stephanie Ruper. She's the author of the best-selling book, Sexy by Nature, online programs such as PCOS Unlocked and Weight Loss Unlocked, and she thinks she knows everything over at paleoforwomen.com. Please keep in mind our disclaimer while listening to the show. The information on this podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material and shouldn't be considered a substitute for medical advice or treatment.
1: That's kind of unfair. It's also really true. (laughs) True. (laughs) <laughs> it's so far away from true. I know nothing. <laughs> but and, you think you know everything. No, I think I know nothing. I mean I think I know a lot more than other people, but it's still like nothing. I can't even begin to tell you how ignorant I am. This is me being a hundred percent honest. I don't know I don't know anything about nutrition, philosophy, religion, like all of the things I study. The only things I know about are how badly I sleep and uh, prices at Trader Joe's, and what else do I know about? I think sloths are cute. That's about as far as my expertise goes. I'm just saying. So I'm I'm really glad that
0: you have a podcast then, that you give advice about
1: (laughs) (laughs) all of the things. I share my opinion and my best hypotheses. On all of
0: the things, I think that is actually very important to note that even though what we talk about uh, you know we we treat it as hey, this is the way things are, but it is still it's still just an opinion, it's our opinion, and it's based on what's happening right now and the literature that's available right now and and our own experiences. so we are not yeah. all knowing being. Sp- I-
1: <laughs> I will always throw out there and you can always ask if I forget but I always put put out there like a what I think the probability is that I'm correct. You know, sometimes I'm talking to clients and I'm like, "Well, you know, it could be this and it could be that and I just want you to know like there are these few different options." And that's almost always how my consults go. I can never sit down and be like, "So this is the exact thing and whatever." Except every once in a while I can and I'm like, "Look, I rarely say this, but I have to tell you I feel so close to certain. That you just need to eat more food or something like that. <laughs> eat more you know? carbs, yeah. I'm more- like, stop exercising. Just like right. stop. I know. Stop. Or like at least don't do it for four hours a day, please. It's really like good advice. <laughs> like me. Uh, yeah, how's that going? It's going well. Um, I am very underslept right now, so I'm a little bit I'm a little bit croaky and hoarse. Oh my God, those are two analogies that have to do with animals. How cool is that? You are so cool. No, not me. It's English. That's very interesting. Frogs and horses. I sound like a frog and a horse. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> because
1: I spent all weekend at a dance event, as I'm doing a lot this summer. So I'm going to try not to talk about it too much because you're going to get sick of it. But I was, I did not sleep. I literally did did not sleep a wink on between like saturday and monday and i drove home on monday because my rental car was due back and i had to leave and i drove i left at like 9 a.m and i drove for five hours and that was that was probably irresponsible of me because i'm really good at staying awake when i'm tired but that was The number of times that my eyes, like, did that thing where they close and you fight really hard to open them again, but, like, for some reason you, like, you can't reopen them. You're like, come on, open, and, like, they won't open. That happened to me a lot. It was, uh, I had to be hyper vigilant. But anyway, um, I had a great time, and I'm a little bit underslept. I'm still coming out of that. (laughs) A little bit underslept. I'm still coming out of that. Um, But I'm very, I'm very happy. I can't tell you how many times I said the sentence, like, I would say something negative or whatever and then then I would follow it up with but I dance so I'm happy. I'm happy <laughs> you're true. happy. I'm very happy.
0: But that sounds exhausting. So I'm guessing you missed the semifinals for the World Cup on Tuesday night cuz you're probably trying to catch up on sleep.
1: I was perfor I was I was in my own semifinals. <laughs> um Yeah, so I guess there was a world – I didn't even know the World Cup was happening this year.
0: The Women's World Cup is. If you
1: have not – Oh, I've heard about the field being really hot and it being very sexist. Is that a thing? Like the turf is really hot and women are getting really burned on it?
0: I have no clue what you're talking about.
1: I recently heard – I read about some – I'm assuming it's soccer – Women were playing a game, and the field that they were playing on was so hot that they were getting, like, second-degree burns from it. Huh. And people were like, this is sexism, because this would never happen to a guy's event.
0: Okay. No. I'm looking it
1: up right now. I
0: haven't heard of that. But the Women's World Cup has been going on for the past couple of weeks. I'm totally – obviously, we're podcasting now into – ahead of time, so – by by this time that the podcast is airing that you're hearing this, we'll have already had the championship game. But for right now we played Germany, though our our women's US team did. And we won 2 0. And so we will be if you please, Stephanie, watch the championship game on Sunday. The women are just amazing. Like the I think women's soccer is so much more entertaining than men's soccer because they're they're fierce. They're strong. They're passionate, and they are not. They don't like. There's no dramatic, fake injury, and like almost like wrestler like you, you know like oh I'm hurt. You know, have you ever have you ever watched like a professional soccer game? men's soccer game you may not have.
1: Yeah, there are sissies about it. Which oh is, my. I-
0: God, are they not? They're horrible. And I don't mean to, like, hate on men, but it almost makes – it makes me not enjoy men's soccer because it makes me – I'm like, really? Come they're on. They're melodramatic get and whiny. Yeah, get up. Get, the, <laughs> the official is going to, like, tell the – you know, they're, they're going to take care of the situation if something wrong happened. So get up and move on and put that – you know, women – the women's team, they get up. They just look pissed. And then they, they go and score a goal. You know what I mean? Like, they they channel that into being even more fierce. So they're just – our team is amazing. They are fantastic human beings, and I'm so proud of them. So I'm not sure who we're playing yet, but we'll be playing in the championship game on Sunday. So
1: That's amazing. I will will do that. I was raised to hate soccer. Like, there were so many things I was raised to hate because I was – I'm from, like, a – Depression era, middle class, conservative family in the Midwest. And so things like soccer are too European. Oh, and like, interesting. Yeah, and other things. Um, Simon and Garfunkel, Ellen DeGeneres, like, <laughs> that sort of stuff I was uh, raised to not like. But you so were raised, soccer is. Wait
0: a second. You were raised to not like Ellen DeGeneres?
1: Yeah, well, she's gay.
0: Oh, you're saying so you were you were raised with that? Like, I was yeah, be, or, just well, because of her orientation.
1: Well, that wasn't or, why, but it was why. You know. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, I was about to say, how can you not like <laughs> Ellen DeGeneres? I think she's the best person <laughs> who exists. She's amazing. She's she amazing. I was would watching dance, her on YouTube yesterday. We should ha- yeah, she would be your perfect little dance partner. My mom wrote a wrote an email to her telling her I should be on her show.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: I know, it was so sweet, but of course she didn't. Um, in the meantime, I go... Side is the best. Yes, your mom is the best. Oh, my gosh. Literally the best. She's, um, you know, she's going to be... She's visiting me next week, and she's going to be here at the time we're recording the podcast.
0: Oh, my gosh. Should we bring her on the show?
1: Maybe for a few minutes, but yeah. I don't want to bore the audience, yeah.
0: so... Oh, your mom's not boring. Your mom's the well, sweetest... No, she's the me.
1: best, but oh, nobody wants to, like, hear from your mom, you know? <laughs>
0: So, I'm sorry, what were you saying? I totally... Oh, so well.
1: I looked up the thing and I was right, actually. Um, the, the artificial turf at the Women's World Cup is... Like, is it at the World Cup? Yeah.
0: Interesting. I didn't hear that. I did not hear that.
1: Apparently at kickoff it was 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh.
0: Yeah. It's up in Canada.
1: Yeah. Up in yep. Canada. Edmonton. So anyway.
0: So... Anyway, so you'll watch that on Sunday. Or are you dancing?
1: Uh, when?
0: It's, it's this weekend is July 4th. So what are you doing here?
1: Oh, yeah, I, uh, I don't have any plans. And it's, it's, really, it's actually a really good thing because I want to I do a lot of work. Good. So.
0: Yeah, do that. I'm actually going to um, – so Russ is coming into town, Russ Crandall. Oh I know I, you, I is he book
1: signing or something
0: no he's he's just coming to like hang out with uh Stacy Stacy sent out a little evite from paleo parents rep mm. rep and Stacy yeah she which you were just on her podcast recently the uh, strong women radio so yeah she she said Russ is coming to town and just had a little get together and so I wish that you were coming
1: you know i just bought my plane tickets for when I'm coming in August, so maybe we can set something up.
0: Perfect. I'm excited. We will set something up. We'll hang out like all the time. And you'll be like, I wanna go dance. Well, I, and I'm gonna be like, no.
1: I will like take a few hours out of my ten days to not dance and hang out with you.
0: I appreciate that.
1: It's uh more than I would do for anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I am not flattered. Yeah. Okay. Um, Can we go to
0: questions? We can go to questions. It is about that time. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, an entrepreneur, or deep in the throes of school and a full-time job, chances are you've felt the pain that comes with balancing numerous obligations. And unfortunately, when you're busy, it can be challenging to nourish your body with real foods because it takes planning and prep time. One of my personal secrets for staying on track during busy times is having no-prep snacks on hand at all times. Stephanie and I have both expressed our love for Keep It Real Food Company because they provide us with grain-free, paleo-friendly treats and snacks that are already prepared and ready to go. Our favorites include grain-free granola, the cocoa nib cookies, and an oatmeal-like warm cereal mix called Mighty Meal. Head over to KeepItRealFoodCo.com to shop their online store and use coupon code PALEOWOMEN, all caps, no spaces, to get 10% off. Question number one is from Simone. Would it be possible for you and Noelle to discuss eating at night, i.e. after 9 p.m.? I try to not eat after 7:30 p.m., but sometimes I have dinner around 9. Is this an automatic equation for weight gain despite that I eat mainly paleo foods? Also, I noticed that whenever I do high-intensity interval training, I wake up around 2 or 3 a.m. wired and starving and can't fall back to sleep unless I eat something. Do you think my hormones are out of whack? Have you ever experienced anything similar to this? I hope I am not alone in this and can get some relief. Thank you so much.
1: I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, this question Simone wrote to me a few days ago and I was like, no, we got to talk about this because uh, it speaks to a lot of things that I'm going through and that I've sort of come to understand through experimenting on my own body, but still have not quite solved. And I'm not sure there is a solution given the lifestyle choices that I make and I'm not willing to give up. <laughs> um, so to address The easy things first, no eating late at night is not going to make you gain weight. Even if you wake up in the middle of the night and eat, you're not, that doesn't mean you're going to gain weight. There is some epidemiological like data and hypothesizing and stuff, which says it seems to show that people who like eat breakfast and lunch and dinner at normal times and like don't snack and don't have dessert they like have lower body fat percentages or are more successful with weight loss than people who do. Right. But that's like in society in general. And I think that that's largely due to like overeating calories, generally snacking, eating bad foods, you know, eating when you're not hungry, all that sort of stuff, having an unhealthy system because you're eating bad foods, like all of the things. I think it's from all of those things. My personal experience and my experience working with people and looking at the experiences of people that I find, like, as individuals is that if you're hungry at night and you eat at night, that's (laughs) no big deal. There's this kind of, there's this myth that you go to sleep and then your body, like, stores everything as fat because you're sleeping. And for some reason, that's, like, what it would do. But that's a myth. Like, your body still has to, it has to continue to live and to metabolize and to respirate and to do all of the things while you're sleeping and if you like were hungry and you ate you needed those calories to continue organ functioning you you needed those things and so your body still burns stuff when you sleep and it will continue to burn things when you wake up and the reason And this is related to the second part of your question because the reason you're waking up in the middle of the night could be a few things, but one of them could be simply that you're hungry, right? So you're waking up in the middle of the night is most likely one of two things. It's that your cortisol levels are spiking due to some sort of improper blood sugar regulation or you're hungry. And the reason hunger will wake you up, okay, so this happens to me. I figured out that it's not cortisol that's the problem, right? So cortisol and blood sugar, at least cortisol related to blood sugar is not the problem. I tested this on myself by changing the carbohydrate content of my diet, like radically going very low carb to moderate low carb to moderate all the things to high carb. I did all of the things with, and I changed my meal timing around and none of it changed the fact that I wake up after sleeping for four hours And if I only and I have to eat before I go to sleep, or I will not fall asleep. And if I only eat a little bit, I'll wake up in three hours. And if I eat a lot, or like a moderate a lot, I'll wake up in five to six hours. If I eat a lot a lot, I'll be able to sleep through to eight hours. So what this says to me is that my body is waking me up when I get hungry. Now, most people sleep through the night when they get hungry. And this is So the theory goes, this is why it's better to not eat late at night is that you get to fast overnight and fasting helps reduce insulin levels and all of this stuff, right? So some people get to approximate a fast overnight, but I can't sleep through hunger. And I think the reason I can't sleep through hunger is that my leptin signaling, which is tied to circadian rhythms, is off. So your circadian rhythm is the natural ebb and flow of when you like wake and sleep during the day. And you're supposed to wake up at a certain time, you know, morning when the sun is coming up ish and go to sleep like reasonably soon after the sun sets and whatever, be active during the day and and sleepy during the nighttime and not be super stressed out. Right. We all understand that this can get dysregulated by high levels of stress or lots of exercise or, exercising at the wrong time like super late at night although that doesn't apply to everybody right it doesn't mess up everybody's circadian rhythm so this happens and leptin is tied to that cycle and most people after you eat dinner like you can go several hours and still go to sleep at night and not feel hungry and sleep through the night and have it be fine and you'll wake up and you'll have breakfast and everything will be normal but if you are under eating and or disrupting your circadian rhythm in a particular way, probably doing all of the things. Then uh, there's there are a particular cluster. There's a particular cluster of neurons in your brain called hypocretin neurons. And actually, Jack Cruz talks about these a lot. He's uh, a little bit uh, fringy paleo, but I remember I did a lot of reading of his work several years ago because he was the only person who was talking about hypocretin neurons. And they moderate sleeping based on how much you've eaten, and that's just a real thing. And leptin will keep the hypocretin neurons quiet, but if your leptin isn't working right, and if you're under eating and all of the stuff, then you'll wake up. So this is a common kind of common thing for women who tend to over exercise or women who tend to under eat or both of the things, and then you wake up in the middle of the night and you have to eat, and then you can yeah. fall back asleep because you're no longer like ravenously hungry, and your body's like, cool. So this is how I get back to sleep. I sleep, for a few, I sleep for a few hours, depending on how much I ate. I eat again, and then I can usually fall back asleep unless there are some other things going on. <clears throat> I think there's a way for you to test what's going on for you. If you wake up and you can have like an orange or something, have something with a little bit of carbohydrate in it, and then fall back asleep, then we could say, we could guess pretty reasonably that it's blood sugar regulation that's the problem for you. And then you may want to play with the carbohydrate content of your diet, maybe going a little bit lower carbohydrate, seeing if you can level out your glycemic control. That could maybe help you sleep through the night. But if you have just something a little carbohydrate-y, like an orange or an apple or whatever, a banana, and can't fall back asleep and find that you need to eat more, or that eating fat and protein also helps, then it's more likely that the wakefulness, the stress of the wakefulness and the under eating is the issue for you. And that puts you in the same boat that I'm in. And in that case, you you didn't, you didn't mention what time you're doing your high intensity workouts. Um, if it's later in the day, you're probably going to want to experiment with shifting it earlier in the day. If it's early in the day and it's still happening, um, You may want to try doing less. You will want to be certain to refuel immediately afterwards. You want to make sure you're getting adequate calories throughout the day in all of your meals. Always eat when you're hungry, always. And see if you can try and eat more. You know, eating at night is fine, but if you eat a little bit more earlier in the day, it could help you not have to wake up in the middle of the night. Um, those are a lot of the things. I, I'm certain that I'm missing some things because um, I just I've been thinking about this and playing with this for years. Um, oh, ha- having good electrolyte levels is important, so make sure you're eating like sea salt and getting adequate sodium, magnesium, calcium, um, phosphorus, and did I say calcium? You did. Potassium. That's the other one. Potassium. Um, There's five. Make sure you're getting adequate amounts of those um, throughout the day. Try and make sure that you are eating plenty of fat, you know, at least 30 grams of fat a day or 300 calories-ish. I know those aren't exactly the same, but they're close enough. Um, A few hundred grams, a few hundred grams, uh, at least 100 grams of carbohydrate a day, um, plenty of calories you may, I have found that taking a time-release melatonin helps me sleep through the night. But when I take things that knock me out through the night like that, I, I get sick often, more often. I have also taken valerian root or tryptophan. There's a supplement called serotonin FX that I took for a while. Um, both of those things help boost GABA production, GABA is the brain's primary inhibitory neurotransmitter. It it helps shut everything down. It helps you sleep a lot. Taking that really helps me sleep and helps the quality of my sleep. But like I said, when I take it, I start to get a little bit sick. And that's because GABA is also immunosuppressive. And so you need to find the right balance of those things. Um, Those are some things that sort of help me get through the night. But I think generally trying to work on your circadian rhythms and making sure you're fed is the right thing to do and always eating when you're hungry. You're not going to, trust me, you're not going to gain like a ton of weight. I've been doing this for years and other people eat at night too and it's fine. And that's that's me talking for a really long time about me and hopefully it speaks to you and what some other women are going through. Yeah, I think that was good.
0: I think that was good just to throw out. A little bit of a different perspective i just want to clarify and make sure that this is known and there is no research that shows eating after a specific time of the day facilitates any sort of storage of fat on the body that would occur had the same food been eaten at an earlier time period so i would say that just don't even uh, it, to me this seems like a general hunger issue a, a, an issue of being underfed there are some studies that show a condition known as night eating syndrome which is characterized by excessive eating in the eating in the evening and then typically you have periods of waking up in the and throughout the middle of the night to ingest food it does have negative health qu- consequences but this is not the same thing so when we look at the research and when we're taking advice from internet experts and the general health and fitness industry, a lot of these things can get kind of twisted, right? So we see, oh, don't eat at night. And most of the time, this is just recommended because it's simple calorie control. And typically, the type of foods that people are eating, specifically with conditions like night eating syndrome, it tends to be junk food, right? So you're sitting in front of the TV at 9 or 10 p.m., and you're snacking. And it's not your, – your snacks and what you're eating is not in response to your hunger. It's in response to boredom or cues of just I – when I sit and watch TV, I want to eat blank. And so that is why the general population at large recommends that. But it is not any sort of sound science and actually the research that has been done proves the opposite. So I – think that by saying, oh, I try not to eat anything after 730, 7.30 p.m., I would just eliminate that completely. If you get hungry closer to bedtime, eat something. I don't personally like to go to bed hungry. I like to have a feeling of lightness. Like, I don't want to feel heavy. Like, I don't want to feel a lot of things on my stomach because digestion is is a, stimulating process, right? So we feel all that happening. And so that can sometimes inhibit sleep. And there are studies that show that it can affect your sleep if you eat too closely to, uh, like if you eat a high caloric meal just before going to bed, it may take longer to go to sleep. Now, of course, I'm sure in these studies, people were eating junk food or weren't eating balanced real food meals. But that is something to consider if you already are having problems with sleep. If you eat a really big meal just before you go to sleep, that could negatively affect ha- your your ability just to fall asleep. Um, right. Although I'm going
1: to wait. To be clear, when I said I eat before I go to bed, I probably put down seven or 800 calories before I go to sleep. Yeah, I don't
0: think that that's bad. I'm not totally sure what the research was in terms of like what they defined as like a high caloric meal, but there are studies out there that show if you eat really close to going to bed, it can, it just, they call it sleep latency. So your ability to fall asleep, that's that's the only problem. But that does not mean that you should not be eating even prior to bed within 30 to 60 minutes. I think if you are... Recovering from certain metabolic metabolic conditions, or you're hungry, I would eat because there are research that shows that if you have sleep troubles, say that you're waking up at 3 a.m., they've actually found that eating just prior to bed is really helpful. And I think that you're going to have to tinker with that. So first, I would just remove completely the whole 7:30 no food after thing. Yeah. The con the um and also it's. It's typically the time when a lot of people binge, right? That's what I used to do. It's like at night time, mm-hmm. I would restrict 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 or I would go through a lot of things that would put a lot of stress on me. And so my way to deal with it was to eat at night because I was alone or nobody was around and you you lose that you, your what a, I'm going to call it willpower, but you use your lose your quote-unquote willpower by the end mm-hmm. of the night and you, that's when you typically use binges and overeating sessions to soothe. So I just just to kind of debunk a little bit of some of the other myths, the conventional what I what I've heard thrown I can't take credit for this, but the conventional bro science so bro science is like, <laughs> hey man, that's not what you should do because da 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 da. The conventional pro science in the health and fitness industry basically says that metabolism slows at night and insulin sensitivity gets worse. So you shouldn't be eating carbohydrates and you shouldn't be eating a big meal and blah, blah, blah. But scientists, if you actually look at the research, they found that sleeping metabolic rate rises and falls throughout the night. So it definitely drops in order to kind of like before we get to sleep. But in some of our deeper Points of sleep, we, our, our metabolic rate rises. And when they've compared that to the metabolic rate during the day, it's actually pretty much exactly the same. So there is no no major slow of metabolism that if you eat something, it's going to be stored as fat. It's just really has to do with what you're eating and your overall energy intake. And then in terms of the insulin, yes, we have a heightened insulin sensitivity in the morning, and that's typically due to the fasting that's occurred throughout the night And so a lot of people will say, yeah, your insulin sensitivity is not as great in the evening, so you shouldn't eat that big meal and you shouldn't eat carbohydrate. But that doesn't mean that we are all of a sudden insulin resistant in the evening. And most people are comparing it to insulin sensitivity in the morning, but if you actually compare insulin sensitivity from to um, midday meals, so if you compare how insulin sensitive you are to the meals that you eat in the evening compared to midday meals, there's actually no difference. So it's not some major drastic change. Yes, I think that if you if you want to do the hacking and the tweaking, that's absolutely fine. But for the majority of Americans, it's not going to make. That big of a difference, so I do believe that that it's important to have certain periods of fasting. I think around ten to twelve hours is is great if you can, and and it does improve insulin sensitivity and allows the body to repair and to go through a lot of those what I'd call like cleaning, you know, maintenance processes. Um, so I I think that that's a good thing, but I I think if you're working on improving your cortisol or your metabolic function or you're doing some sort of high-intensity activity, I would prioritize eating. So waking up between 1 and 3 a.m., I think this is interesting. It definitely indicates, it could indicate a few things. One of them is obviously low blood sugar, which sounds like that's what's happening. So you, you have inadequate glycogen reserves and your body may it, this may designate that you have a problem transitioning to burning fatty acids for fuel. So when we fast, when we go through periods where we aren't eating and supplying our body with immediate energy like when we're sleeping, we transition from being uh, from burning mostly sugar to then transitioning to burning fatty acids. And so if you're not adequately adapted to burning fatty acids, what happens is you Cortisol is a backup to insulin. So insulin is what – I'm sorry, not insulin, um, glucagon. So cortisol is kind of like our backup. So it's our, our liver takes care of and our pancreas takes care of storing glycogen and then releasing it when we need it. And so cortisol is what is released from the adrenal glands, especially during times of stress like exercise, for example when we need, when it's like, uh-oh, we've run out and we need the backup forces. We need some, we need some sugar in the system. And so if you have a hard time burning fat or transitioning to burning fat, your body is going to say, holy, holy cow, like, here we go. I, we need some sugar. We're out of it. And then cortisol will be released. And cortisol is also your awake hormone. So it it balances out melatonin and so cortisol is what wakes you up in the day and it spikes if your if your rhythms are correct, right? It spikes in the morning and then melatonin onsets uh, in the evening. So if you have that quick release of cortisol in the middle of the night, that is probably a sign that you have a problem, you've run out of of sugar. And I'm not sugar is not a bad word. So you've run out of sugar reserves or you're having a problem transitioning to fat burning or burning fatty acids. So I would, like Stephanie said, experiment with that. All of her ideas were great. Feeding your body, taking, t- having a, a bigger meal is an absolute must after your workout. You've got to get a good whack of carbs, especially after a lot of those intense exercises, intensity, high-intensity training. So really make sure that you're doing that. Really make sure you're getting in A good balance, I would say two to one of three to one to carbohydrate to protein. And then if you need to snack before bed, go ahead and do it. I would do something maybe that's a little bit higher in fat and then has healthy carbs. So you could do like a half sweet potato with a good whack of ghee or butter or coconut milk and berries, which is my favorite thing. So experiment with that and, and see how it goes and don't be afraid to eat, please
1: eat all the things. I mean, seriously, a lot of times for me, it honestly, it comes down to like, am I going to try to be, am I going to try to calorically restrict and lose some weight today? Or am I going to sleep? Like, that's a really big question for me. And I always choose sleep. And well, I'm not, I'm not saying that you're going to gain weight from eating. But what I'm saying is like, please don't, right? Like so many women deal with so many women deal with problems from under eating, and I, I don't know if that's a problem for you. But to uh, the when in doubt, err on the side of eating more rather than less.
0: Right, and and sleep in general facilitates healthy metabolic function, and it can facilitate weight maintenance or weight loss or whatever. Yeah. So, so question number two is from Deborah. Lots of notes in here, Deborah. I read them I all. love
1: the notes. I know. Oh, my goodness. I.
0: By the way, we read them all just so, so that you know. But we're going to just read the question. I've always had a problem with oils since I was a child. When I was in college, I was told I had IBS and to take XX pill. I hated being on medication, so instead, I just cut out things that bothered me, like dairy, oils, and most fats. Then one day, I found paleo through Jonathan Baylor and then Diane Sanfilippo, and I realized how awful all those vegetable oils were anyways, and I don't feel bad not eating them. I slowly added in coconut oil and then nut oils like macadamia and walnut and then avocado oil, but olive oil is the one thing that has been really bad for me. Within 30 minutes of eating olive oil, I get stomach cramps, and this may sound weird, but I would always get really cold, like chills and really tired all of the sudden. Then it turns into multiple runs to the bathroom as my body rids itself of what, what it deems the enemy. This is how I always knew if a restaurant used olive oil, even if I told them no butter or oil. Is there any reason that I should be able to tolerate olive oil, but I, but I can others like coconut oil? I'd really love to be able to go out to a restaurant and get a salad with olive oil and not be afraid to eat out anywhere. Keep doing what you guys are doing. You are awesome.
1: Speaking of my ignorance and humility, I feel pretty out of depth on this question. It's, uh, (laughs) I'm like olive oil. Okay, so some people develop food sensitivities that are not allergies and to, like, random things. And that's that's just a real thing. Why olive oil would affect you relative to other things, I could not say for certain. There's a compound called, uh, what are they, Noelle? Salicylates. (laughs) Salicylates. (laughs) They're so hard to remember how to say. Salicylates. Um, And Noelle will talk a little bit about them. But that could explain, perhaps, why olive oil and the other like, industrial nut oils bother you, but these oils do not, right? Because the um, uh, the butter and the ghee and lard and animal fats, you know, they seem to not be bothering you, and so we can kind of rule out fat itself being the issue, right? If fat itself were the issue, then none of them would work for you, but it appears as though some of them now do, which is really encouraging and kind of awesome. And Having this problem with olive oil—the list of symptoms you describe—I can't quite put my finger on it. Right? It sounds a little bit thyroidy. It sounds uh, maybe like your blood sugar drops. It sounds maybe like um, like there's a, a stomach acid issue, and uh, and or a gut flora issue. All of the things appear to happen. And so I would definitely call that some sort of non-allergy food sensitivity and just be happy avoiding it. You can experiment with different kinds of olive oil that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, they have different levels of purity, maybe different um, grown in different regions. They may have different levels of different compounds that may work better for you. Of course, this won't help you out in a restaurant, but it could help give you a sense for what's better or worse for you or what you can do in your Um, own daily life Um, those are i just those are some of the few ideas i have and because i don't because i don't know much about i don't know as much as noelle does about non-allergy food sensitivities i want to throw it i want to throw it your way noelle i
0: i i actually don't think that it's it's too complicated. I really do believe that you have a sensitivity. It may be to a certain compound. That's what we were talking about, salicylates. But I, I think that you found something that you are sensitive to. You've probably noticed other little things like vegetable oils and dairy. And you did have IBS. And I think that IBS, even though now it's probably resolved and it was mostly triggered by dairy, ultimately, I think that It has nothing to do with the food and everything to do with the terrain. And so you probably may have some sort of imbalance of bacteria. And maybe there's a little bit of SIBO going on. Or maybe maybe you once had that. And so you're not necessarily, you don't have as as robust of a gut in terms of your probiotic Uh, diversity and so that makes you more susceptible to certain sensitivities so i'm not saying that this could never be reversed but it is a a sensitivity to olive oil specifically a sensitivity to salicylates which is a chemical found in certain plants and if you want to get more technical about it it's 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 the salt and esters of salicylic acid, which is an organic acid. It's naturally occurring in varying, con- in varying concentrations in certain plants and also fruits. And it's actually it's the natural immune hormone and preservative, and it protects the plants against disease and insects and fungus and bacterial infection. So here we go. It's one more thing that's sort of an immune defense that plants have. But it is a compound that's found in certain things, especially it's it's in high concentrations in olive oil. It's actually also found in coconut oil. But if you have a sensitivity to these salicylates, there's not much information on it. There's no tests that you can find or or, or take. And so I think that just being, you know, experimenting, being open to maybe trying to figure out what other things could be. Causing it, and maybe making sure that you take a couple different probiotics. I really, I'm, I'm a huge fan of rotating probiotics. So, having, I have, I think I have like four or five different high-end probiotics in my fridge right now. In addition to um, sauerkraut and and homemade kombucha. So, I really, really think it's important to rotate a lot of those probiotics. Eat a lot of probiotic foods. Drink bone bro, bone broth. Um, consider taking collagen, just to, just to make sure that you are always doing all the things that repair your gut because it is a gut issue here. So, but but in general, this sounds like an, a sensitivity and, a, and a, a sensitivity to salicylates. I want you to look that up and and read through some of those things and see if that is that looks like you because a lot of these symptoms that you described, they're just symptoms of having a sensitivity to a food, right? You, you, you essentially experience all those things, the coldness, the chills, the diarrhea. So I think, yeah, I, you know, it
1: almost, it almost sounds like, um, like when you get sick, right? And it's like a bacterial mm-hmm. reaction, like your body doesn't like it and it's, right. it's like, it's, it's an immune response. It
0: is an immune response. Yeah. Yep. So I I think that it's, I mean, it doesn't get much more complicated than that other than I don't know necessarily what's the answer. So I would look that up. There is no rhyme or reason to salicylate sensitivities. So I actually, it's similar to me to FODMAP sensitivity by which when you do like a low FODMAP diet, you take out all high FODMAP foods for six months and then you reintroduce certain FODMAPs and you see which ones you're sensitive sensitive to. And there sometimes isn't any rhyme or reason. You could really have a sensitivity to one food and not to, an, to an, another. So just because you're okay with other foods that are high in salicylates doesn't mean that that's not it. And I will say that salicylate intolerance, they, they think it is a, as a key player in gastrointestinal disorders such as IDS and colitis and Crohn's. So look into that. Boom. Boom. Okay. Question number three is from the voice of the people.
1: <laughs> Dear Man, I love the voice of the people, can I just say.
0: They are awesome people. Dear Noel and Stephanie, Last week, while you were discussing diva cups and tampons, Stephanie forcibly restrained herself from going on what seemed like was going to be the most epic rant of all time. She said this rant had something to do with our culture's myths about female private parts. It seemed very important and life-changing. I am just dying to hear what you ladies have to say about this. I would make, it would make me the happiest person in the world. Please, 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 please pick this question. Your audience deserves your bountiful passion and wisdom. Sincerely, the voice of the people. Stephanie, the people have spoken.
1: The people have spoken. And I'm so honored that the people want to hear what I have to say about this topic that clearly the people (laughs) care so much about. Oh my gosh.
0: So please, I would just love, as a part of the people, please rant on about all of the things, female private parts. The people have
1: spoken. I (laughs) shall rant. Okay. So last week we were talking about Diva Cups and Tampons and how there's this like sort of, like, dirty thing we're not supposed to talk about about them, right? Noel was like, oh, we're not allowed to, like, this is a normal part of female life, and we treat it like something that's just so secret, you know? You Like, you got to hide, like, your tampons and, like, stick them in your bra or something when you go to the bathroom so nobody knows about it. Like, it's a very dirty, secretive thing. And that got me thinking about all of the other dirty, secretive things that we have about women's bodies, and then I got... Uh, pretty enraged about it but I restrained myself from talking about it because I felt like I would have talked forever and then Noelle mentioned a blog post that I had written and it's called The Real Reason Women Orgasm Less Than Men and you should check it out because it's um, kind of important I think actually I talk about (sighs) our culture has this idea that, like, orgasms are less natural for women than they are for men, or less easy, or less common, or what have you. Like, that's a, that's just, it's almost a given, right? That's just, like, a thing that we assume. But when you look at the data, because people do do studies on this kind of thing, like, in hospitals and stuff, when you look at the data, women physically orgasm just as much and just as easily as men do. Right. So if you look at different populations, like people who orgasm the most are lesbians, right? Like it's women on women and there's like, and the people who orgasm the least are heterosexual women with, you know, all different sorts of classifications falling in between, including heterosexual men who are just like a hair behind the lesbians or about the same, depending on whether you count like masturbating and or just being with their partners, you know, that sort of stuff. And also, now this is super interesting because I read articles all the time and I hear people talk all the time about it. it's like I'm a woman and I take so long. Like that's a thing. People like that's a thing. And maybe it's true for you and maybe it is true for some people, but in general on average, you stick a woman in a room by yourself and a man in a room by himself and you like put on a like a stopwatch and you're like, "Okay, go." You know, who gets who orgasms first? On average, it takes women and men the exact same amount of time. It takes four minutes when people are trying to get an orgasm out quick. And so physiologically, women are everybody as capable of orgasming as men are. But we don't think of it that way in our culture. And there are a lot of reasons that we don't think of it that way. And And we don't treat it that way. And they're all... Like, they are all incredibly sexist and incredibly harmful to women, like, as a whole. And a big part of this, one part, although there are a lot, but this is the part I was referring to last week. This is just, like, a part of it, is we have this thing. We, like, believe that, like, the female anatomy is so complicated. Like, people are like, well, of course it's harder for men to get women off because women's private parts are so much more complicated than a man's. To which I just, I can't, I can't even. Because it literally, if you just try just really hard, just go in and like erase all the filters. I'm like rubbing my hand in front of my eyes right now. Like erase all of the filters you have in your head about penises and vaginas. Like erase them. And then like picture them in your head, like side by side and try to be as objective as possible. And one's not more complicated than the other. And, like, if you had to write, like, three steps to give pleasure to one organ and three steps to give pleasure to the other, like, and just put them next to each other, they would be equally as complicated or equally as simple. It's like, touch here, nicely, done, you know, and, like, do it in this sort of way. Do it in that sort of way. Do it aggressively. Do it gently. Done. Right? And, in fact, I mean, the female sex organs are... They're the same as the male sex organs, but smaller. Like, literally, physiologically, they're made out of the same tissue. And so, like, uh, the the lips of a woman's anatomy are made out of the same tissue as the testicles of a man's, right? And um, the clitoris is just a much smaller concentration of the whole penis right like it's just smaller and more concentrated and so it's not more complicated and we create these myths around them being complicated i think to excuse the negative way the objectifying way the dehumanizing way we treat women in bed which is just so infuriating you look at more data and like men consistently report not caring about pleasuring their partners like random partners that they meet you know like one night stands i think they don't care about pleasuring them nearly as much as they care about pleasuring the long-term partners and that's just because they're you know whatever a guy has an orgasm and he goes to sleep and we just assume that when a guy has an orgasm sex is over and then it's like done and like the woman was there for his sake and like ta-da like whatever and guys are like well sex is done now i'm like you have hands in a face thank you like <laughs> we don't have to be done here, and there are some guys who are really wonderful about it, but not and um, not hetero. What
0: <laughs> can I just say that I think it's important for women not to let that happen to them?
1: Yes, exactly. Like, we so, cannot
0: be victims and say like, oh well, I guess, and, and just roll over and say okay, and not be empowered to say no. Look, this is how it's, it's going to go, or this is this is the way this works. I I, I feel like as a lot of women in general and this whatever. But I feel like sometimes women let that happen because because of their inaction.
1: Yes. I absolutely I agree. But we also have things about womanhood in our culture in which, right, like we are much more generally speaking, empathetic and gentle creatures who allow people to like walk like kind of walk over us, generally speaking. Well, people right. Like pleasers. Pe- people pleasers. Yes. Yeah. And You know, I read another article today. I read articles like this online all the time where people are like, women should be more aggressive in the boardroom and women should be like more bossy. And it's stupid that women get called witches for being bossy. And I gotta be honest with you, I would much rather that we try and make like the masculine aspect of humanity less aggressive than make women more aggressive, right? And so anyway we have this thing in our culture in which women are a little, we're like more people pleasers. And for me, the worst thing in the world is like making somebody do something they don't want to do. And I will never be able to change that about myself. And so if somebody doesn't like want to pleasure me in bed, I'm not going to force him, but I will, I will never call him again, but I'm not going to force him. And of course there's a whole other aspect of this, which is like, are we communicating openly and like, honestly, right? Like, you know, some guys might not know how to do things properly, but we can help them, Absolutely. right? Like some might really earnestly want to, but because we live in this culture in which we're not open about the best ways to pleasure a woman the way we are about a man, then it's, you know, it can be our duty or our joy or whatever to help men, like, overcome that.
0: Oh, my but gosh. Can really I just hard. say, like, how many times in cos like, how many magazines, like, teach you how to properly please a man, like yeah, no 17 kidding. Right, Cosmo, all that. I'm sorry does Does Men's Health talk about the clitoris? Uh, does it? Does it talk to, about the most perfect way to please your woman? And I mean, maybe sometimes a little bit. Yeah, but it, it is.
1: does actually, but not as much it's, as we do them.
0: But even at such a young age, it's such a trap. It's like
1: mm-hmm.
0: media in general is like focuses on make sure you know how to do this right, women. You know what I mean? So, I, and I, it's, how to
1: please your man? And
0: young men are not worried about that at all,
1: right? So. Well, because we also have this thing where we're like, you have to please your man sexually, or he's not going to want you or love you, or you're not going to be worthwhile anymore, right? You have to be pretty, and you have to be good in bed. But like, how much is men's worth dependent upon like pleasing a woman culturally? It for some guys, I've, I mean, there are, of course, I just I keep throwing out there like exceptions. Tons of exceptions. I've spoken to a lot of guys who are like, that's like the most important thing in the world for me and that may- what makes me feel so masculine is pleasing a woman. But there are other guys who are like, eh. Oh, and then one more <laughs> thing to rant about. Like for guys to complain about performing oral sex on women, like it's such a chore. Okay, at least you can breathe. Like I can't even. I can't even. Oh man. Our, our cultural like, our cultural preferences for oral sex on either set of gendered body parts it just it blows my mind that it's so acceptable and so common and so important like literally so important like women serve girls young girls start freaking out about like how to properly like attend to a penis when they're really young I know really young I I, how old was I I was super young you know like standardized test score age and (laughs) and how many men like it's just it doesn't happen that way and I'm I'm not saying it should but it's really I find it just so heartbreakingly sad and so infuriating that we have all of these traps set up set up in our brains and it hurts everything we do with men like it's not just in these specific instances I don't care like if I have these 10 seconds of pleasure in a bed but I do care that somebody like respects me and has empathy for me
0: Right, and I can tell you that the way it's portrayed in the media, it can be very damaging as well. And super. So, it's hard for it was hard for me in particular. I you know, I had a specific way I thought marriage was going to work, and it wasn't like that at all. And so, even though that wasn't a bad thing to me and I didn't have a problem with it, I felt like something was wrong because I assumed that everything was right based on what was perceived in the or what I perceived, marriage and uh you know, romance, how how that happened in a marriage, I perceived that something was wrong because the normal was obviously this. And so once I broke free and was like, no, I'm just going to set my own rules, it was like, you know, amazing. So, yeah, I think that the media can be incredibly, incredibly damaging and we have to protect ourselves from what we watch and what we allow in and what we allow to like sink into our our being, I really do. I think I think that what you watch becomes a part of you. So be careful with what what you what you
1: allow into your life. That's a really good point. And of course, the people too. It's very hard to know when you meet somebody, like mm-hmm. right off the you know initially. You can get like intuitions about people, but it's hard to know when you meet people. And there are people already in your life, and it's just, it's important to have open conversations with them, mm-hmm. you know, and to just curate the people around you to create the happiest environment, most loving and respectful environment possible. And then they'll be willing to like create new like guidelines and rules and whatever expectations for play with you and, and sort of step outside of that work on stepping outside of that really damaging paradigm. That's just been hammered into our brains since we were born.
0: Right. And I can promise you if you're in a long-term relationship, women, guys, want to please you like they want you to tell them what to do they're not like us i know that women tend to be a little bit more sensitive and we don't want to be so like this is what you need to do and no do it this way nope that's still wrong do it this way nope you're still doing it like i know that we're sensitive to that again because we are we're different i totally respect that we're different people and that i think is why we've kind of manifested this idea that it is harder to please a woman is because women are different and it's totally cool to respect those differences but I would not allow that to to take over um just to to again manifest in your head and take over how you how you interact with the one you love. Like it just they want to know. Like so be confident and and tell them what you need and, and what's good to you and I promise you it'll there will be lots of success. Lots of
1: success.
0: So, how, how is your
1: rant done? I think I covered most of the things that I wanted to <laughs> cover. We will maybe hear from the voice of the people again. I think,
0: I think the voice of the people should keep occurring. Yes, for sure. Yeah, perhaps. So, that I think that's going to have to be it for us. We'll save the bonus section again for later, but we've just had too many good rants going on
1: all the ranting. Although I <laughs> I think the one about sex and femininity was a little bit more important than the one about t-shirts.
0: Maybe. Maybe. Depends on what industry you're in. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's it for us today. If you could please head over to iTunes and leave us a review, we would love to see what you think and get your feedback. It really does mean a lot to us if you could just take a couple seconds to do that right now go do it. We will give you lots of long, awkward hugs for doing so. And thank you so much in advance. For more from us, you can find Stephanie at paleoforwomen.com and me, Noelle, at coconutsandkettlebells.com. Talk to you next week.